Welcome to the Wizard of Whiskey podcast, the podcast dedicated to the hedonist lifestyle. Very special guest today is uh, Paul Letko with a uh, few spirits. How are you today, Paul? I'm doing great today. It's a fantastic day here in Evanston, Illinois. Wonderful, wonderful. It's 105 here today in Sacramento, so not so pleasant, but uh, <laughs> but at least it's not humid. So, um, Paul, um, tell us a little bit about few spirits. Um, Paul and I have actually known each other for for a a long time, um, you know, given given that I was in Chicago. So so tell the, the listeners um, a little bit about Few Spirits and how it came to be. Sure. Well, Few Spirits, we're a small grain to glass distillery. We are based uh, right here in Evanston, Illinois. Um, kind of came to be as a culmination of a, of a dream. Um, you know, one of the interesting things about the distillery uh, is that it's kind of geographic location here in Evanston. Um, Evanston was born as the prohibition, uh, birthplace of Prohibition, and uh, the women that drove the entire Prohibition movement forward uh, nationally were based here, uh, including the second head of the WCT was an Evanston resident named Frances Elizabeth Willard. And so we get a lot of people that see a similarity with her initials uh, in our name. Uh, but when we fired up the stills for our first time, uh, it was the first legal alcohol ever made here in Evanston. That's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Um, and and for those of you who haven't been to Evanston, it's a pretty little historic area. Um, Northwestern University is there. I highly recommend getting out there, um, taking a tour. Definitely going to few, um, and then, uh, you know, kind of checking out the history of prohibition because it really did. Um, selling of of spirits and and wine and alcohol in general and and Evanston was, was only legalized in the 1970s, right? The sales of spirits at Evanston really only began in the early 70s, and that was extremely limited to uh, really just a couple of places. And so, you know, I always say it's kind of an interesting story that uh, you've got, you know, world-class spirits being made in some place that made uh, uh, alcohol illegal for a large swath of the of the world's population. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, well, uh, we've got some, some spirits here. Um in front, what do you say we uh, taste through some whiskeys and then a barrel aged gin or two? And uh, <clears throat> I've got the, uh, the the single malt in front of me. Um, while I taste it, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, what I should be looking for? Sure. I think the single malt is a fantastic spirit. Uh, it's one of our most limited releases. Uh, we really only release about 100 cases a year. Uh, so if, you, uh, if you're lucky enough to get a taste of it, uh, yeah, you're a pretty lucky person indeed. Uh, the whiskey itself is obviously 100% malted barley, uh, you know, given that it's a single malt. Um, but the spirit itself is going to have a lot of these really wonderful cappuccino, uh, caramel, uh, you know, powdered chocolate, uh, maybe a little bit of chai tea here and there. Um, it's a wonderful after-dinner malt uh, with some really great sweetness. Uh, also has that also uses a little bit of cherrywood smoke, and so you'll get a little bit of a smoky texture, um, but not necessarily a whole lot of smoky flavors. And so it's a fascinating study in what American single malt can be. It doesn't taste anything like scotch, uh, mostly because it's actually not scotch. No, absolutely. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I got a lot of incredibly complex flavors. Like you said, I got some cocoa, got some cocoa powder, got a little sandalwood, a little, little fruit wood. Um, really nice and complex. What are you throwing that in? What are you aging that in? Uh, so it's aged in uh, used bourbon and used rye barrels. Um, 
so it's got you know it's already used bourbon, already used rye barrels, obviously, uh, and I think you get a lot of these really nice textures from those used barrels. Um, you know, I think the Scotch are onto something by putting malt whiskey in used barrels, and I really think that uh, for whatever reason, malt whiskey goes fantastic in a used barrel. Um, and our, you know, certainly our whiskey is no exception as far as that goes, but it's a fa- it's really neat to see the effect of the barrels on the whiskey. Fantastic. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's super high quality. I love that that single malt. Um <clears throat> so I've got the uh, I've got the bourbon in my glass. Um and uh it's funny because a lot of people still assume that bourbon must be made in Kentucky and we we all know that that's not true. Um Sure. And and a lot of places are making some really fantastic high quality bourbon. Um, and that's a fantastic thing. I mean, bourbon is a beautiful beautiful drink and you know by all means, the boys down in Kentucky and the girls down in Kentucky, uh, they make some damn fine bourbon. And, you know, one of the challenges then about trying to make bourbon is that you have to compete with people who do it really damn well. And so, you know, we always love talking about how our bourbon doesn't taste anything like Kentucky bourbon uh, because it's actually not Kentucky bourbon. Um, you know, I think the few bourbon really stands out in the marketplace as being super spicy. Lots of this really great clove and lots of really amazing cinnamon, cassia, um, some pepper, uh, really great spice uh, up front and also even continuing on through the middle uh, with a nice long um, lingering but not cloying finish. Uh, it's not going to be nearly as sweet as a lot of the you know large name Kentucky bourbons that are out there. And again, that's on purpose. We're trying to do something different. You know, I don't want... You know, we don't want to make whiskey that tastes like Kentucky whiskey because they already do it really well. And so I think that's what kind of makes you stand out is that spiciness level. Yeah, I um, I definitely like that uh, that spice on that bourbon. I, I usually get a lot more of it on the rye, which is what's next coming up. And rye is one of my favorites. Um, and in fact, the, one of the stores I used to, to run uh, in Chicago, we were one of the first to get access to your rye. Um, yep long you know long time ago and and I've always been a huge fan of your rye and I don't know what it is you do to it that makes it so good um so tell us a little bit about it so the rye is a, it's a great one it's a really cool contrast with the bourbon because whereas I think the bourbon is super spicy I think the rye has some great fruity notes and the difference there is in the yeast that we use um you know it's uh we use a decent amount of corn in the mash bill for the rye it's actually 70% rye 20% corn uh, so you get enough corn in there to give it a little hint of sweetness and a little bit of depth, uh, some complexity, so it's not just a single grain. Um, but that wine yeast gives you enough fruity esters in the mid and the finish and even on the nose that it really stands out in a marketplace as being totally different. Um, the rye tends to drink a little bit like a bourbon because of that fruitiness, and you can if you're just kind of drinking it and not really focusing on the flavor, you can kind of perceive a, a lot more sweetness than is really there because of that fruitiness. Um, you know, there's that plenty of spice in the whiskey itself, but the fruit from the wine yeast gives it this great balance and depth and complexity uh, that is, you know, missing in a lot of other whiskeys that are out there. Wow. Well, there you go, folks. Wine yeast. Um, <clears throat> that's awesome. <clears throat> Um, so, Paul, tell me a little bit about the love affair uh, that craft spirits producers have with gin. I have four of them in front of me. 
Um, and I'm excited to try them. We have an American style, a breakfast style, which I'm going to have for breakfast in the morning, um, a standard issue, and then your barrel aged. Um, so, so let's talk gin. So I think gin, you know, a lot of craft distillers get really captivated by uh, gin. And the primary reason is that, you know, it's, it's a, one, gin's a fantastic spirit. And two, you know, the avenues for creativity are wide open. As a craft distiller, we do what we do because we love it, not because of the money we make. Um, you know, we don't make any money. So <laughs> it's a wonderful opportunity for us to kind of explore and pursue um, the real creativity that is what really drives us and draws us to become part of this business. Um, you know, it's the, the money. We don't do this for the money. We do it for the love. And gin because the rules are so flexible, it just gives you an awful lot of opportunity to explore and create and make something new and make something different that can be a little more challenging than with, say, for example, bourbon. Um, the rules for making bourbon are you know, relatively, uh, relatively strict, so it's a little more challenging to come up with bourbons that uh, are a little different. You know, I think ours does, but it's a little bit, you know, it's, it's just a different beast. And so when you come into gin, the rules are a lot more flexible, so you can be a lot more creative. And for a guy like me, that's where I just love. And you know, I, I love, you know, thinking of what a flavor can be, and then trying to make it and reverse engineering to figure out how, you know, how do you make this product that tastes the way you want it to taste, and what does that mean? And so we end up with a lot of gins on the market because of that creative process. And you know, once you start creating, it's hard to stop. And you know, it's a great fun. So I mean, you start off like with, for example, a few American gin. Um, you know, we started. There really weren't too many gins out there like it. Uh, yeah, it's a gin, and everybody has all their bad attitudes of gin. But the few American gin has a actually a white dog and bourbon base. So the actual spirit itself is super sweet and very approachable. Uh, we layer that with some botanicals, including some citrus. Uh, some Madagascar vanilla, uh, some Cascade hops that we grow ourselves right at the distillery. And, you know, we end up with this really nice, soft, approachable gin that can really redefine what gin can be for an awful lot of people. Uh, you know, so many people end up with this bad attitude over what gin is or what gin can be uh, based on a bad experience when perhaps they uh, drank more gin than they should have. But you know, gin itself is a beautiful spirit, and I think that our few American gin is one of the gents helping to reintroduce people to the glory that is gin. Um, and then you can contrast that with, uh, for example, the breakfast gin. Um, again, soft and approachable gin uh, with a lot of Earl Grey tea in the botanical mix. And so you get this nice herbal, uh, you get a nice herbal character on the gin. You get some bergamot from the uh, Earl Grey tea again. Uh, you get the nice dryness and crispness from the juniper and a little bit of lemon peel to brighten it up and make it shine a little bit. Uh, and it's just a fantastic gin for your Sunday brunch. Um, you know, it's 10 a.m. on Sunday, and you know, it's time to drink some gin. Um, I, I, am, uh, I am always surprised that I can try multiple products for instance these three different gins I, just, I i tried them all the american the breakfast and i'm now doing the standard issue um i'm shocked that they are completely different the the standard issue 
is giving me a lot of really fresh grapefruit. It's got it's giving me a lot of really fresh uh, citrus peel and and just really you know kind of like an ivory soap thing. And I love that. It's it's fresh and it's bright, vibrant. And the the breakfast kind of like you said, it gives you that that tea quality. It gives you um, some more lush kind of stone fruit and a little more rounded. Um, and then in my opinion, uh, the American Gen, I got a shit ton of peppercorn. Um, mm-hmm. like pink peppercorn and I love that it's really interesting and these are three very distinct gins that you guys are producing um, and I think you've nailed all of them yeah I mean, we, we certainly play around a lot we don't just come up with a recipe and just release it um, but you know we're always trying to look for what's a cool flavor what's, what can we do that's going to be you know, a different voice in the marketplace you know, it's, you know, just like the boys in Kentucky make some damn good bourbon you know, there's great London dry gin out there and so we want to make sure that when we put something out there, we're adding to a market and you know, offering something new to the consumer. Um, I don't want to make a product that's just a me too. Hey, look at this. I can make a product that tastes like beef eater. And that, that doesn't add anything to the consumer experience or to your enjoyment of gin. You know, we're trying to make something that's new and something that's different. Um, again, expanding the conversation. I love it. Um, and one of the things that I've become obsessed with recently is uh, barrel-aged gin. I love barrels. I love gin. Um, and you guys have one here. Um, tell us a little bit about this barrel-aged gin. So the barrel-aged gin is a wonderful gin. Uh, we, we were trying to think of there as something that really rides the line uh, between gin and whiskey. Um, so we make this wonderful gin. It's a relatively dry gin for us. A lot of juniper and coriander in the botanical mix. A pretty neutral base spirit, so you're not a whole lot of graininess. <laughs> but uh, that juniper uh, dries it up and gives it some sharpness, and the coriander gives it a nice floral, uh, vegetal nature. Uh, pardon. <laughs> pardon me. Uh, you okay, Paul? Yeah, I'm just uh, all of a sudden I'm struggling here. I apologize. No, no worries. Um, uh, <clears throat> and let me so, let me pause. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I'll, I'll pause it for a second there, but but go ahead. Um, yeah. No, I'm, I'm recovering. So you get this great vegetal and herbal character, and then the barrels give it texture, and they give it uh, that great whiskey flavor without actually being whiskey. And so you end up with this gin uh, that really feels like you're drinking whiskey when it's in your mouth, uh, but it smells like gin, it tastes like gin, and it really gives you this great new area to explore an awful lot of classic cocktails you know it's fantastic in a whiskey drink because it's a totally different version but it plays um you know you could make a barrel-aged gin manhattan and it works and that's all the time we have for today uh make sure to join us uh for the rest of 2016 there is still some exciting episodes to come and we've got a lot of really cool stuff coming in uh 2017. Thank you very much. Uh, You were listening to Wizard of Whiskey. Please follow us at Wizard of Whiskey on Twitter, Wizard of Whiskey on Instagram. Uh, We're also on the Facebook, and please download us on iTunes, Podcast Addict, or wherever the hell you can find uh, the podcast. Cheers. Cheers.